morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Monday, July the 11th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. South African police said that gunmen killed 19 people in two random shootings within hours of each other at taverns in Soweto and Peter Marisburg. So what we are hearing is that a group of people walked into the park at Kwam Jalohofe. They found people enjoying a drink in the early hours of this morning and they started shooting. On the scene they killed about 13 people, but the number of, of the people who have been killed has been going up. And the Kenyan government and the World Health Organization launch a medical emergency hub in Nairobi, the first of many that will boost responses to regional emergencies. The African nations did relatively well in our attempt to contain the disease and flatten the curve. We all must remember that there were two challenges that stifled our efforts. Firstly was the supply of essential commodities such as PPEs, which were very limited. And secondly, the vaccine inequality. And more than 100 Rwandans are repatriated from the forest of Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo as fighting between the Congolese army and the M23 rebels continue to displace civilians. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, South African police say that gunmen killed 19 people in two apparently random shootings within hours of each other at taverns in Soweto and Peter Marisburg, that is 500 kilometers southeast of Soweto. Reports said that attackers armed with rifles and pistols opened fire in the Orlando East Bar in the township of Soweto in the early hours of Sunday, killing 15 people and warning nine. Police also confirmed a second random shooting hours on Saturday at a tavern in Peter Maritzburg. Four people were killed and eight others were wounded. The South Africans are still waiting for word from authorities on who is responsible for the shootings in Soweto and Peter Maritzburg. Robert Shivambu is a South African in Cape Town. He tells VOS James Barty that although the country has a crime problem, the recent spate of mass shootings in taverns or bars is quite new. There have been three random shootings like this since the early hours of Thursday in South Africa. The first one happened in Katlehong. People were driving in a taxi, they stormed their bar and they started shooting. They killed four people on Saturday. And it so happens again that on Friday, going into the early hours of Saturday morning, there was another shooting in Peter Maritzburg where four people were shot and killed. So the latest shooting that you are asking me about, it happened in Orlando East in Johannesburg. The place of the tavern where this was happening is called Kwam Lalose. So what we are hearing is that a group of people walked into the park at Kwam Lalose. They found people enjoying a drink in the early hours of this morning and they started shooting. On the scene, they killed about 13 people, but the number of, of the people who have been killed has been going up because some of them have now died in hospital. We don't know the motive of the shooting. Robert, I want to ask you that, because here in the United States, we have a problem with uh, mass shootings, and there are all kinds of reasons people give, whether there's a proliferation of weapons, particularly high-capacity weapons. What are the authorities saying in terms of what may be responsible for the frequency of these shootings? Yeah, so thanks for that question, James, because I think it's a very important question. Unlike in the United States of America, 
where we often hear of random shootings at schools, at shopping malls, at some places, where sometimes it seems to be racially motivated in the U.S. In South Africa, these kind of killings are quite new. Of course, South Africa has got a serious problem of crime. Now, the shootings at taverns or pubs where people are socializing, where people just storm and start shooting, killing as, as much as 15 people or four people, it's quite new in South Africa. It's never seen before. And we don't know what is driving this trend. So I think we, are, we can all speculate, but we can only wait for authorities to tell us what is going on. As you mentioned, this happened over the weekend. Is that why we haven't been able to hear from the authorities in terms of uh, what they have gathered so far? Yeah, so in South Africa, police take a while to be able to conclude these kind of things. There might be some elements of incompetence and all those kind of things. As you might know that last year in Africa, there was looting, which was quite unprecedented. We still don't know exactly what happened because no one has been brought to book. Just to give you an example, what happened in Eastern Cape, where 21 young people were found dead. We still don't know what happened two weeks later. Police are still saying that they're still investigating. So, But what we know is that police are saying that this particular case in Orlando, the scene was quite horrible. Bodies were on top of each other with gun wounds and cartridges lying on the floor. So it really shows you that, look, the motive was to kill the people. Robert, it's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for the information. Thank James and uh, all the best with the show, man. That was Robert Shivambo, a South African. He was speaking from Cape Town with VOS James Party. More than 100 Rwandans were repatriated last week after 28 years living in the forest of Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Their return comes as fighting between the Congolese army and the M23 rebels continues to displace civilians. The crisis in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo has heightened tensions between the two neighbors. Eugene Uwimana has more from Kigali. More than 100 repatriated Rwandans have been living in the forest of the Democratic Republic of Congo as refugees since 1994. 28 years later, they say the current crisis in Eastern DRC is a final warning for them to come home. This woman says they were living in very dire conditions in the forest. They could not spend a day without hearing bullets passing over their heads. She says they could not cook or eat in peace. As soon as they started eating, she says they would hear gunfire and start running. This man says the situation recently got worse when the M23 rebel group increased its attacks on the Congolese army. Rwandan refugees and anyone who speaks in Rwanda got in trouble. He says they were hunted like criminals. What is happening in Eastern DRC is beyond human understanding. Upon their return, the new arrivals were received by Rwanda's Ministry of Emergency Management. The ministry says they will be given cash assistance to ease their reintegration into society. That's 250 US dollars per adult and 150 US dollars per child. The majority of them have never been to Rwanda. They were born in the DRC. For many years, the DRC has been a battlefield for hundreds of rebel groups whose members come from neighboring countries. But over the past few months, the target shifted to Nyarwanda-speaking civilians who the Congolese army says cooperates 
with the M23 rebels, a charge they deny. Rwandan President Paul Kagame says the DRC must accept that they are Congolese who speak in Rwanda and this issue must not threaten the security of Rwanda. There is a need to politically address this problem of Kenya Rwanda speaking Congolese, including those members of so-called M23. But that is the problem of Congo to address. It's not mine. The Democratic Republic of Congo accuses Rwanda of supporting the M23 rebels whose military capacity is said to be dramatically increasing. Chigari denies the allegations and instead accuses the DRC of working with the FDAR rebel group to destabilize Rwanda's security. So it's not acceptable that FDAR ever would be supported to cross into our territory or supported to share into our territory and kill our citizens. We have not done that to Congo. Last week, Rwandan President Pokagame, DRC's Felicity Kisakedi and Angola's Yorelenso met in Rwanda in a tripartite summit to ease tensions. But Rwanda says no ceasefire or agreement was signed during the meeting. All along we need peace, and we need peace for both of us. There needs to be peace in Rwanda, there needs to be peace in DRC. Therefore, we should give each other peace. The current crisis erupted last November when the largely defunct March 23 movement, M23 militant group, carried out lightning strikes on military positions of the armed forces of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, FRDC. They struck the villages of Chanzu and Runyonyi in North Kivu province, just west of the Ugandan and Rwandan borders. Since then, hundreds of civilians have been displaced, and the continental blocs are sponsoring peace talks and trying to achieve a ceasefire. Ejen Uimana, for VOA News, Chigali, Rwanda. Debrek Africa continues. The World Health Organization, in collaboration with the government of Kenya, has just held a groundbreaking ceremony in Nairobi for a health emergency hub to serve East African countries. Maureen Ojambo has more on this story. According to the WHO, Africa experiences over 100 health emergencies per year, more than any other region in the world. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed huge gaps, particularly the continent's lack of emergency responders. A WHO analysis finds that less than 10% of countries in Africa have the workforce required to prepare, detect and respond to public health risks. Speaking in Nairobi, Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta said that the continent faces a lot of challenges when it comes to healthcare services and responding to emergencies. As African nations did relatively well in our attempt to contain the disease and flatten the curve, we all must remember that there were two challenges that stifled our efforts. Firstly was the supply of essential commodities such as PPEs, which were very limited, and secondly the vaccine inequality problem due to the global supply chain challenge. Profound challenges led to the emergence, however, of a new path and innovative thinking on the part of many African countries. And the emerging path was laced with opportunities with the promise of a better tomorrow. I am duly informed and I do appreciate that the vision of the enhanced hub is to serve as a modern storage center for essential medical equipment. The new hub will help train a group of 3,000 responders from across the region. Among the selected professionals who who will receive training are laboratory experts, epidemiologists, data managers, anthropologists, field logisticians, and mental health and psychosocial experts. 
WHO Regional Director for Africa, Mashideso Moeti, says the initiative aims to ensure that 1 billion Africans are better protected from health emergencies by the end of 2025. Nairobi is contributing 31 million US dollars towards the emergency hub. This includes the allocation of about 12 hectares of land and free office space for 120 WHO staff for a period of three years. WHO Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus says the hub will support resilient health systems and strengthen regional and global health planning. He says Africa is affected by many diseases. Including outbreaks of cholera, yellow fever, meningitis, measles, Ebola, as well as humanitarian disasters such as the current hunger crisis in the Horn of Africa and the Sahel region. The frequency of these events is expected to increase, sadly. Public health emergencies in the region often prove overwhelming for already weakened health systems and lead to interruptions in the delivery of essential health services and disrupt societies and economies. The WHO is contributing 47 million US dollars in funding to implement the project. The emergency hub will also oversee a variety of sub-regional activities in Eastern Africa. Senegal and Nigeria are the other two African countries selected to also host WHO hubs that will also be centers of excellency in emergency medical training with the capacity to respond to over 100 crises at a time. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Ojiambo in Nairobi, Kenya. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. Nigeria's presidential frontrunner Bola Tinubu on Sunday picked as his running mate, a sitting Muslim senator and former governor of northeastern Bono State, the heartland of an Islamist insurgency that has killed and displaced thousands of people. The move by Tinubu, who is also Muslim, breaks with past practice where presidential candidates from major political parties have chosen running mates from different religion in a bid to foster unity in the country. Voting began Sunday in the Republic of the Congo. The Congolese are choosing legislators to the next National Assembly as well as their municipal councillors. Rosie Pioth has more from Brazzaville. Regine is a young girl in her 20s who was at the polling booth very early Sunday morning. She wanted to be among the first people to do their civic that in Bakongo, a district south of Brazzaville. She says that she is determined to come and vote early because she wants change in the way everything is done in the country. Like uh, Mrs. Solange, an old woman, came to fulfill a civic duty. She says she has come to vote for the deputies and hopes to see them bring a significant change in the way things are managed because the country is suffering. The Independent National Electoral Commission has ensured the smooth operation of the vote throughout the country and has asked losing candidates not to create disturbances. Henri Bouka is the president of the commission. He asserts that his Bantu, a wise man, does not challenge the state. Bouka therefore invited those who oppose the election on social media to do so peacefully. He says anyone who has problem with the government can follow established legal mechanism to make their point. 
et on ne peut pas non plus. Election results are expected within a week and no surprises are expected. The Congolese Labour Party, in power for 50 years and currently holding the majority in the National Assembly, could win again. For VON News, I'm Rosie Piot in Brazzaville. Debrick Africa continues. The traditional Chinese medicine market needs the skins of some 5 million donkeys to make a popular tonic called Ejiawo. Now, criminal gangs are stealing and brutally butchering Africa's donkeys to meet demand in China. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. Donkey populations have dwindled significantly in parts of Africa because so many are being slaughtered for their skins to feed the Chinese medicine market. Some countries, like Tanzania, say they worried the once common farm animal could now even face extinction locally, according to Simon Pope, who works at British charity The Donkey Sanctuary and is an expert on the illegal trade. China needs something like 5 million donkeys every year just to produce the amount of a jail that it, it keeps producing. About 2 million donkeys every year come from China's population. So we estimate that about 3.8 million donkeys every year need to be sourced from outside China. It's very hard to say what proportion of those are legally bought and illegally. But, you know, I think it is not unreasonable based on the insights that we've had to say that between about 25, 30, 35% of that, of that 3.8 million are stolen. The stolen donkeys are often cruelly butchered and sometimes even skinned alive, said Grace Delange, an inspector from the National Council for Societies for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. But in all instances, all these animals were just brutally murdered. There's no other word for it. Delange says since South African authorities started cracking down on the illegal trade a few years ago, it's driven the industry underground and donkeys are now being smuggled into the small landlocked kingdom of Lesotho and slaughtered there before being shipped to China. The illegal trade also acts as a conduit for smuggling critically endangered wildlife, according to the donkey sanctuary. Pangolin scales, ivory and abalone have all been found hidden in shipments of donkey skins, as have illicit drugs. But Pope says some African countries are now fighting back, with Tanzania introducing a ban earlier this year. What we're beginning to see now is a much more of a concerted pushback. Francis Nkosi, who works on a farm near Johannesburg looking after rescued donkeys, explained why the animal is so important to rural communities in Africa. Donkeys in our culture, it's like transport, they help us, we use it to fetch some water from far away. If people get sick, sometimes we don't have a car, we don't have a transport, you can use the donkeys. Requests for comment from the Chinese embassies and consulates in both Lesotho and South Africa went unanswered. If the demand for Ijao continues in China, criminal elements will keep seeing Africa's donkeys as a lucrative business opportunity. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. The UN Sustainable Development Goals Report 2022 warns that global crises and disasters are putting in jeopardy the attainment by the end of the decade of the 17 goals adopted by the UN member states in 2015. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. 
Information in the report issued this week from more than 200 countries indicates COVID-19, climate change, and proliferating conflicts are having a devastating impact on efforts to end poverty and hunger and improve global health and security. Assistant Director of the UN Statistics Division, Francesca Perucci, says COVID-19 has wiped out more than four years of progress in alleviating poverty. She says the pandemic has pushed 93 million more people into extreme poverty and many more into acute hunger. She says the increase in the number and global spread of conflicts, the largest since 1946, has forced more than 100 million people from their homes. The Ukraine crisis has caused food, fuel and fertilizer prices to skyrocket, further disrupted supply chains and global trade, royal financial markets, and threatened global food security and aid flows. Humanity is also on the verge of a climate catastrophe, with impacts already being witnessed and felt by billions of people across the world. Scientists say greenhouse gas emissions rose by a record 6% last year. To avoid the worst impacts of climate change, they say carbon dioxide emissions must peak before 2025, decline 43% by 2030, and fall to net zero by 2050. Scientists warn voluntary national commitments to cut greenhouse gas emissions are insufficient to meet this goal. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports. We go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with the latest results from the ongoing Women African Cup of Nations in Morocco. Nigeria is past Burundi 4-0 in Rabat to secure second place in Group C and the sport in the quarterfinals, but will face a tough challenge against Cameroon with a trip to the 2023 Women's World Cup on the line. In the other game, Interbisieng Magia scored a late winner for South Africa as it completed a 1-0 victory over Botswana to seal top sport in Group C. Botswana will take on host Morocco in the quarterfinals. Staying with football news, Eswatini and Botswana are through to the quarterfinals of the Council of Southern Africa Football Association Cup as one of the favorites Angola and Lesotho were sent parking. Eswatini defeated Lesotho by 2-0 to top Group B on Sunday while Botswana stunned Angola by 1-0 to go through. Botswana will now face Zambia in the quarterfinals on Tuesday while Eswatini will play Senegal on Wednesday. The other quarterfinal match will see Madagascar face Namibia on Tuesday, while the host Bafana Bafana will take on Mozambique on Wednesday. And now to athletics. South Africa's double Olympic 800 meters champion Kasta Semenya looks set to make her first appearance at a world championships in five years in the 5,000 meters after being named in the list of registered athletes by World Athletics on Saturday. Semenya initially missed qualification when she only finished sixth at the African Championships last month but has benefited from a number of athletes dropping out. The world championships ran from July 15th to the 24th in Eugene, Oregon. The 31-year-old last competed at the World Championships in London in 2017, where she won her third 800 meters world crown. 
In tennis news, the hopes of Anse Jabour quest to become the first African woman to win a Grand Slam singles title in the modern era was crushed on Saturday when the Tunisian was beaten by Russian-born Elena Rabekina, 3-6-6-2-6-2. Jabour, in her post-match press conference, says she didn't play her best tennis in the finals. It's a great first experience for me and uh, I'm looking for, for my next uh, finals. Uh, I'm sure I will learn a lot from this one, but a uh, positive two weeks for me and uh, I'm just going to keep my head high. In rugby news, Namibia secured their place at a seventh successive Rugby World Cup by beating Kenya 36-0 in the final of the Rugby Africa Cup 2022 in France on Sunday. The Namibians have been in fine form in the south of France, winning their quarterfinals against Burkina Faso 71-5 before a 34-19 defeat of Zimbabwe in the last four. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungi.